You are listening to the Roberta Glass True Crime Report, putting the true back in true crime. From New York City, Roberta Glass is now on the record. My guest, William Ramsey, is an author, documentarian, and member in good standing of the bar in the state of California. He also has his own podcast, William Ramsey Investigates. William Ramsey was reporting and investigating Jeffrey Epstein and Ghislaine Maxwell years before their arrest and mainstream media got a hold of the story. He's joining me today to discuss Maxwell, Alan Dershowitz, and all those complicit in Epstein's crimes. It's always a great pleasure to talk to him. Welcome, William Ramsey. So, have you ever seen a news story where people are so conspiratorial? I don't think so. I think that this one is uh, definitely worth some inquiry and looking into for sure, because it is very thick with a lot of background information. So thank you for having me on the show to uh, discuss the still ongoing, you know, Epstein slash Mac Maxwell saga. Yeah, I just came back from the bail hearing on Tuesday and people are saying, well, you didn't see the real Maxwell. You saw a clone. You saw her double that they put in. The real Maxwell is somewhere off on an island enjoying the time. And the elites have put in a sort of a double of her. Have you heard that theory? Yeah, people said that same thing to me. What do you think about that? What I said was it was definitely she that I saw because nobody can fake that arrogance. That's what I wrote back. You know, that's a special kind of arrogance that I think even the best actress or actor could not fake. I think to get a double, I, I'm not big on conspiracy theories in general, but the double to get a double and nobody would say anything. None of the victims would say, oh, that's not her. I, I think it would be hard to pull off, but I'm shocked. Very hard. The other thing is why no mugshot? Can we address that? briefly yeah it seems very hard where, where is the mugshot why isn't there one what i understand to be a important ruling where these mugshots are not released in important federal cases like this because for one the public so associates mugshots with guilt that interferes with their right to get a fair trial isn't that contradicted by epstein who had a mugshot well the mugshot that they used was the mugshot from 2000 and was it 2006 I thought that there was a black and white in some of those documents somewhere. There's a black and white recent mugshot of him that somehow either leaked or got out. Well, did that get out after his death or I I think so. I thought the ones that they were using was the old one. And in Lori Loughlin's case, they didn't release a mugshot. There's been many cases because of the conspiratorial nature uh, around this after Epstein died. However, he died. I think everybody's mind is very worried that there's sort of shenanigans behind the scenes going on. Yes, I think so. I think that that's, I mean, you're just seeing a total distrust of the uh, court system and really kind of just the the ruling class power system. Nobody trusts anything that comes out. They can't even accept, you know, standard stories anymore, so... Right. It's there, a, an interesting, interesting times. There's a gentleman behind me who has a YouTube channel called True Crime Loser. He's the second in line. And most of his reporting about the Maxwell case was about how they led us into the courtroom and then told us to go out and wait in line. I think they did it three or four times. <laughs> so, you know, every couple hours they'd let us in and then tell us to, and we'd go through the whole security and check our phones. And then they say, oh, you have to go out. And there was even comments that, oh, well, that's what they wanted to do to just dissuade you from re- reporting on the story is to have march you in and march you out that not that they're disorganized and don't have the staff to cover the room and all this stuff, but just that they want to march us in and not have the press cover the story. It's so and it's even- very odd because they did, I think they extended their 500 uh, person online viewing to a thousand. So there were a thousand people that were able to watch the proceeding live on video. Did you hear anything about that? It was live on video or was it just what? audio? I'm not sure. I thought, I thought it was, it was a call-in a- oh, Okay, that number. was a call-in. 
So they extended the call-in number to have more people listen to it. Okay, I didn't. I and didn't they know. opened up the press room too. So those right. were so, things that and they didn't promise us anything before that bail hearing. They said because of COVID, if they decide that there's too many people, even if you waited in line, they they will just too bad. Go home. There's a talk about who else is going to be arrested. And I guess my question for you, is this, Maxwell, is this a whitewash to sort of blame it on one person and that's it? I don't know. I mean, I think that there are other people who are legally culpable. I mean, as far as how far the uh, court system wants to you know, push it forward, I don't know. But I think, I mean, I read an article that Sarah Kellen is next. So, you know, I think that there there's definitely possibly other people in his sights. I mean, I think, you know, uh, Alan Dershowitz may be a person of interest for them. I think that there's there's some other possibilities. What do you think? I thought it was very interesting. I mean, why Sarah Kellen? Why not more of the big players? Why not Les Wexner? Why not he next? I mean, good, good, good question. I don't know. I, I mean, I, I feel like. Uh, there's so many people involved that they're there. I mean, I wonder, I wonder who they've interviewed because uh, in one of the videos that you sent me about Alan Dershowitz, I was surprised to find out that he voluntarily walked into the federal government and asked for an interview. So they didn't ask to interview him, but I was surprised to find out that he's already been interviewed in this case, to what extent the totality of which I don't fully know, but it seems like they're still out there asking questions about what really the the enormity of what's going on. So I think that there's a lot of things. And I, you know, to be honest with you, I was surprised that Maxwell got arrested. I really thought that Epstein was going to close the doors. I think the public outcry was such that uh, the government really was was willing to move forward because so many people thought it was an injustice that she was getting away with it. So I don't know. I don't know what the next steps of the Southern District of New York really is. I really don't. But uh, I, I mean, one of these videos, I was surprised to hear that Dershowitz was in there. He said, this is a quote. I walked into the federal government myself voluntarily. I made an appointment with the U.S. attorney, with the district attorney, with the FBI. And I said, I'm here to tell you everything I know. Please ask me any question. I did not refuse to answer any single question. And she may do the same. So it was pretty, pretty interesting that he has already been uh, queried. And, you know, okay. and I know that that she got in trouble. She's in trouble, not just for these old crimes that happened from 1994 to 97, but the recent crimes, which are two years ago, the two perjuries uh, that she stated in the Jufre Maxwell case, which is still an important uh, reference point. That's a really important point because her defenders, and I'll get into Geraldo, and I want to talk about Dershowitz in just a second, but that was one of the big points of her defenders was saying that this is 25 years old. I understand the statute of limitations, and now they're being extended in many states, including New York. But their point seems to be it doesn't matter anymore because it's so old. They didn't really hurt anyone, and it, they should have gotten over it by now. Is that the point? What's the point in saying it's 25 years old? I don't know. I think that that's supposedly minimized. But statute of limitations, there are tolling uh, functions. There's elements within even a statute of limitations that invalidates the the time. So. Oftentimes in some sexual crimes or other crimes, uh, if it's not known or the people are impeded from coming forward, it can actually overturn those statutes. So there are exceptions to the statute of limitations, and this might be one of them. The fact that the victims can argue that they're intimidated, which uh, seems to be the case just from what you saw in the Maxwell hearing of this one girl saying if she gets, if Maxwell gets bail, I've got to have protection. And then what happened back in 2008 when, you know, it's pretty clear that PIs and other operators were trying to uh, uh, prevent people from coming forward. And even in the Jufre Maxwell case, the same thing happened. Like, why is Dershowitz and Cernovich involved in that whole thing? So uh, there is uh, some type of intimidation going on. Another sorry, point I... about the mugshot that was made while I was standing in line. Other people were saying that perhaps if they could make an argument that releasing the mugshot would encourage more victims to come forward, they would get a feeling of safety from it. Do you think that would be a compelling argument? Perhaps. But I think that that seems to be the case. I mean, it was interesting when when Epstein got arrested, a lot of people came forward and it seems like that's the case with Maxwell. So uh, I think that's a positive 
event. I don't know who this person who uh, spoke at the Maxwell hearing was, if she was a new one or somebody who's also uh, mentioned in the Epstein Epstein case in you know last year. So I, I think that I, I just don't think it's that huge of an issue. I think it's more for the public just to see the verification that this really is the the right person, right? Just but you said that she had had some type of you know she had had soft, some work or plastic soft, soft plastic face cure. work. Maybe it's yeah. fillers. Maybe it's Botox. Some her face looks softer and younger to me, but that could also be just the poor quality of the screen that I was looking at. Who knows? But she did look a little different to my eye, not as sharp features but so but i mean she is 58 i mean a, a common culture right now these days it's not that uncommon for no. people to have botox and things like that the interesting thing about sarah kellen and another woman connected to both epstein and maxwell nadia marin marcinkova thank you was that both of their businesses connect back to an east 66 address which is owned by Epstein's brother, Mark. Right. So what That's does that tell us? It tells us a lot that he possibly knows more than uh, than he's willing to come forward. And he was also on a lot of the uh, logs, the air flight logs. So, oh, and I think that he was involved in some other stuff with his brother as well. So he might not be uh, some kind of uh, innocent bystander. And I thought that it was his his apartment or something that he had rented where some of the women who were trafficked were staying. Did you ever hear anything like that? No. Okay, because I thought I thought that there was something, he was, some, there was something involved. I'd have to go back and look at the court. I'm not, or the court records, I'm not fully uh, confirmed by that. But I think that he had some other type of thing involved. So, like, there's a wide net. There's a lot of people who seem to know much more than, um, than what they're saying publicly. Like, it's hard to believe that they wouldn't know what was going on, kind of like Alan Dershowitz, who said, you know, <laughs> I think his, his direct quote was never suspected they were doing anything wrong is, I think, a direct statement from them. Right. Let's get into Dershowitz because it's so delicious, really, because he won't stop talking. His yes. Twitter, if anyone wants a good laugh, check out the responses to his Epstein-related and Maxwell-related posts. And he came out with an article saying, my friend Maxwell and why she deserved the presumption of innocence before her bail hearing. Right. Why is he talking so much? I don't know. He just seems to be digging himself a, a bigger, a bigger you know, ditch. So, or, or, or a deeper grave, so to speak, because nobody really believes him. Anytime he goes on YouTube, all the comments on YouTube as well are like, we don't believe you. And there's a lot of people who really know about the two affidavits we talked about last time by Ransom and um, by Jufre. And just for people who don't know, uh, the importance of an affidavit is that they have to go into a notary and notarize them or have somebody, an officer of the court, hit it. So, I mean, like, you know, uh, verify it and put it in the log. So you can be arrested or put in jail for perjury if it's a lie. It's a very serious document. And I think it's pretty remarkable that, you know, people... I've kind of leaned more on just kind of the laziness and kind of stupidity of the journalists for not looking in or even verifying these things, but they're available online. I just looked up the other affidavit yesterday. So it's, it's like, why aren't people mentioning this? And, and Epstein, I mean, Dershowitz himself is very conveniently ignores uh, the fact that those two are out there too. So yeah, I think he is digging his own grave, but I mean, the guy is in massive amounts of litigation right now. He had the Edwards versus Dershowitz. Um, uh, that was settled. I think that his his insurance paid that out when it settled in 2015. There was a, that was a very what long, was that that was that Bradley Edwards? What was yeah, that about? Yeah, so Bradley Edwards and him sued. It was something to do. I think it was a defamation case, and it was people really don't talk about it very much. But I think it had to do something with the the Epstein thing. It was Edwards and another attorney. I think Not because boys? Dershowitz, um, no, the uh -huh. boys is di boys is different. The boys is now saying, <laughs> boys recently, I think it's 2019 when he filed suit against Dershowitz, and then Jufre is still suing Dershowitz, which Dershowitz never mentions in the um, you know conversations. He just doesn't doesn't just state unequivocally, you know, I am being sued by Jufre for defamation. He, he conveniently or always avoids that. 
and then Dershowitz decides to sue Netflix. I mean, it's just an incredible, like, labyrinth of uh, litigation. The original Dershowitz case, I can't remember the other attorney now. I believe it was a defamation case that was settled, much like the Jufre Maxwell, which is also settled. And I think that there are provisions in that settlement where Edwards had to say something and there were public statements, but that was, uh, and I, if I recollect, it was Dershowitz's insurance that paid it out. He didn't even pay that out, out of uh, his own pocket. So but what is the contents of Sarah Ransom's allegations against Dershowitz and uh, Virginia Dufresne? So I think that the, uh, the ransom was was like she was tra she was trafficked and she said that she had I think I can't remember I got to go back and look that up but I, I think that they're different. Jufre's affidavit was different than what she wrote in her autobiography, which was included in the Jufre Maxwell litigation. So that was part of the discovery was that which she wrote I believe in 2014. So it's fairly recent. Uh -huh. And this is, I mean, so Dershowitz is saying he's never met, she never met me, never heard of me. And he keeps saying that there was some kind of uh, pressure for a billion dollar settlement, which seems really outrageous. Uh -huh. uh, it's a very outrageous statement. And I think this is what she wrote. So it's kind of a long paragraph, but I just want to read it out. Because this, when we talked last time, I said that, I believe I said that, uh, Jufre said that Dershowitz was Epstein's business partner, but there's more to it okay. because she said there's there's more details. And I think it's more important to see what she actually wrote, which is this is the quote. This is written by Virginia Jufre. Jeffrey's business was running well from the looks of his attentiveness, the office he owned in the Upper East Side of Manhattan. Alan Dershowitz, his colleague in finances and personal solicitor. So. He, she didn't write that he was a business partner. It was his colleague in finances, which is fairly similar. So Alan, Alan Dershowitz, his colleague in finances and personal solicitor, a bird of the same feather, I had seen hanging around the island and Jeffrey's Manhattan mansion more and more these days. Alan's taste for the young and beautiful was a bias for a blooming business relationship between him and Jeffrey. So she's saying that they had a business relationship. After an explicit session of Jeffrey's vulgar pilgrimage into my body, we were interrupted by a knock at the door by Jeffrey's good friend, Alan. Covered myself up in Jeffrey's pink bed sheets, which is the color preference he chose to sleep in because it reminded him of blank and blank. I don't want to repeat that too graphic. And covered, covered my face from the unexpected intrusion. Jeffrey got up and wrapped a towel around his loins and answered the door completely calm. Opening the bedroom door and letting Alan inside, they began to converse about business immediately right in front of me. Jeffrey started to tell Alan what needed to be done while he jostled some notes down quickly. I peeked my head from underneath the covers, thinking they were too wrapped up in their work to notice me get up and, dre and dress. And Jeffrey turned back to me and told me to just stay there. This would only take a second. Going back to Alan, he turned his focus back into work and hustled out a few more orders before letting Alan out of the door and returning his attention to me. Sorry about that. Work never stops and neither will the money. So, uh, yeah, so she has, I mean, it's hard, it's hard to, she has very specific writings about Dershowitz, which he doesn't, Dershowitz conveniently doesn't address. And he calls her a serial perjurer, a serial liar, and a serial prostitute. Right. It's really crazy. Well, here's the other odd thing is that she, these victims never say they're getting paid, right? So they never say that they were, they were groomed and they received monies. But in my reading over of the victim files, nobody ever says they got a specific funds for being with, being trafficked to somebody, right? Mm -hmm. And if you look through that, so why is he saying that she was a prostitute? Because they just say they got trafficked, right? So did, was money exchange hands? Is that why Epstein and Maxwell have immense amounts of money is because they were taking funds for something? It's always very interesting in the comments. There's always one or two people saying these girls knew what they were doing. They were old enough to know better. They got something out of it. Basically, they loved it. They enjoyed it. There was no crime committed. And it also goes along with a kind of ideology that prostitution is a victimless crime. Trafficking is a victimless crime. That the age of consent should be lowered. 
And Alan Dershowitz has a long history of arguing that the age of consent should be lowered and lowered considerably. So it goes back to 1985, he wrote in the Gainesville Sun, men who solicit prostitutes shouldn't be arrested. In 2012 article, he wrote that watching child porn should not be an offense. So how does that work, Alan? If watching it is not an offense, then making it shouldn't be an offense, right? So how can it exist <laughs> as something illegal without consuming it? In 1997, uh, in Los Angeles Times, he wrote that the age of consent should be lowered to above the age of puberty. And he suggests 15. So have you come across that kind of attitude that this really is much ado about nothing and this shouldn't be a crime and that they all got something out of it? All of these victims got something out of it? I don't believe that. I, I think that that's just uh, a whitewash on what happened. These girls, are, a lot of them were under the age of consent in some states. And certainly if there was money being exchanged without their knowledge, they're being trafficked. Why did Dershowitz call her a prostitute? Right. Was she a prostitute? Why doesn't somebody ask him that? I kind of see his, his step of going to the district attorney, the FBI and U.S. attorney, maybe as a cover from them not having the time to actually ask real questions of Dershowitz, right? So if he sets it up, maybe they're not as prepared. They don't know the case file as well and some of his public statements and asking questions about that public statement. Because all if they were prostitutes, how does he know that, right? How does he, if that's the truth, why are you saying that? Well, what... I mean, that's that's actually kind of a defamation there as well. So there's a lot of questions there. But yeah, but if you look at Dershowitz's whole, the arc of his whole career, the cases he takes, Von Bulow, OJ. Harry Reams. Yeah. Oh, boy. Doesn't seem to have a discomfort with, you know, crimes against women. No, and there's some questions about what happened to his first wife, too. And I was telling you, I think privately, that of all the people I've been around, I've been around... Keith Ranieri, probably most definitely a sociopath. Other people I, I would consider either narcissists, narcissists, sociopaths. He is the person that has scared me the most. I came wow. home from that hearing trembling. <laughs> Couldn't stop trembling. I, I don't know of another word. He gave me the impression of someone that could hurt me. And I think that every person has just a natural instinct of fear. You get fearful when you're around someone who, can, who could possibly hurt you. So when he first said that he went and gave these statements, did he say to the FBI? He said, this is his direct quote. Okay. I made an appointment with the U.S. attorney, with the district attorney, and with the FBI. And I said, I'm here to tell you everything I know. Please ask me any question. That's a direct quote. So when he first said that, I said, oh, yeah, sure, that happened. But now as you're saying it, I thought that was just more spin and it, it never occurred. Because he's also saying, I'll go to court, I'll waive the statute of limitations, and he doesn't. You know, that's one thing he right. says. So I thought, oh, that didn't probably happen. But it does fit a pattern of always having to control the narrative, of always being the one with the last word or the first word, whatever, whichever way you look at it. And the other thing he says is that most of Epstein's victims are telling the truth. Who said who, he said that? said that? Dershowitz said that. So just wow. not the ones who are accusing you, right? Wow. <laughs> so we should have believed so all, most of Epstein's victims. And he says maybe even Virginia Giffray was a victim of Epstein, but she's a serial liar, serial prostitute, serial perjurer. But you believe that she was a victim? You only don't believe the claims that have to do uh -huh. with you. So that's a it makes wow. it a little hard to believe. It's incredible. Yeah. Incredible. I mean, you really analyze Dershowitz's real, in my opinion, real, real problems. And you sent me some of those uh, videos, really good videos. I'll try to put them up in my on my side, the links to these. But one, he says a real broadband kind of uh, anti-woman statement that yeah, I think his direct quote is women have a genetic predisposition to tell the truth and men always lie. That's another kind of uh, maybe it's a paraphrase, but he said something about that offhand. It was like. Do they really? Do real? Is that what you're trying to say? Because I don't think that the average person really thinks that. Why are you putting that out there? I love other Sorry. women, William Ramsey. I love being a woman, but I would never say that about women ever, that we were born not 
with a genetic predisposition not to lie ever. If I said that on a podcast, I would be called a man hater, don't you think? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, it's just, I mean, you look at all these things he's out there doing, it's uh, a lot of questions, man. Lots of questions. Well, the other interesting thing is now he's saying that it's hurting his work for Israel, that he's, he can't advocate for Israel because nobody's inviting him to talk. But there is one place that's inviting him to talk, which is the Alaska Bar Association is having him as the honored speaker at their annual convention. But, wow. William Ramsey, there are problems because people are complaining, and probably wow. including me. I will probably send them a line. And now they are having a special meeting Monday to decide whether or not to have him as a honorary guest. So they wow. might I mean, retract. do these people know how much litigation that he's currently being sued for defamation by a person who I think that has shown in her case with Maxwell that she was trafficked, that she was in Santa Fe and I mean all of these places in Manhattan that she was on the plane. They have pictures of Jufre at that party in France with uh, Epstein and what's that famous African-American model? I forgot her. Uh, Naomi Campbell. Naomi Campbell. Yeah, she's right there in the mix. So and this huge party with a lot of other, you know, glitterati types. So I, I, it's very I don't know. I don't even know how Dershowitz got invited to to speak at the uh, the you know the attempted impeachment of, of Bill Clinton. I mean, sorry, of Donald Trump. Like these are incredible moments. Like, don't you know he's in, in litigation, guys? Come on. It's unbelievable. And the other interesting thing he said is that these accusations can ruin a person's life. And he says, imagine this was your son or yourself. And it can ruin their life, it can ruin their career, and it can ruin their legacy. And then he went on to say that when he dies, his wife will still be defending. He will never stop defending himself. And when he dies, his wife uh, will defend his legacy and then his children. And I made a joke to you, then his great-great-great-grandchildren. I mean, when is this going to stop? I mean, when is the... (laughs) And what was interesting, it wasn't when he is proved innocent in court, right? When he gets his vindication in court he's going to just keep spinning it in the press and his relatives are going to keep spinning it in the press and i just thought that was an interesting argument for a lawyer he's willing to just get his name out there as as much as he can he doesn't seem to be very selective and uh it's interesting that he kind of couches himself as a victim in the me too movement right so he's kind of like put himself in that group of you know, uh, inappropriately abused men who, you know, are, are these women are digging up these old things. And I thought that was kind of interesting as well. He's caught because he says it's a very important movement, but like all movements, he said they start with the right intention. I'm just paraphrasing. They start with yeah. the right intentions and then they end up being a business. Well, who's getting money for accusing you, Alan Dershowitz? You're saying that the me- media doesn't have enough to write about, that they need you like he, you, Alan Dershowitz, that's the other interesting argument he makes about Jufre writing. Well, she didn't write that she had sex with me in her, or she was trafficked to me in her book, excuse me. And she had some questions to her editor of whether she should include me as one of her victimizers, I believe. I know oh, he didn't use that language. And that was his big testament to his innocence is that she was asking, should I include him? For one, he's not a big celebrity. And two, do you think you really want to need to include him in your book, the most litigious guy in the world? Do you think that might cause some problems with legal that you have to throw it through? So she it's not surprising to me that she sort of, you know, kept that part out and kept him, you know, that he was very involved, but not, you know, as a business partner. And my mother had another good question, which was what was the attraction if it's not for underage girls? between Jeffrey Epstein and Dershowitz. He's not a science person. He's not a... What else do they have in common? Nothing. I don't think that they're they're almost on the different sides of the spectrum. So it's very strange about how he keeps saying, Alan Dershowitz keeps saying that he met um, Epstein and Maxwell in very public things and was introduced... It's interesting that he says this without context because he says he was introduced by... Lord and Lady Rothschild, right? Evelyn and his wife. 
Well, his wife was brought up in all of the Pizzagate stuff. Her, she's all over there. She's friends with these guys from uh, Correct the Record or one of these other uh, left-wing media or slash propaganda slash, you know, uh, attack dog type, left type people. She was pictured in, uh, it was James Alephantis's, I think it was James Alephantis or his boyfriend's Instagram. She's all over the place. So to say that she was introduced by her with kind of like some less than savory connections to pizza, you know, which was never really investigated. But well, you say those, Rothschild and the conspiracy theorists go crazy. Well, they anyway, go crazy too. Yeah, so it's really not a good. It's such a dog that. whistle. <laughs> yeah, good point. This is very true. So it was interesting that that's uh, that's how he says he met him. But there seems to be this long term relationship because if Maria Farmer says she saw him in the nineties, and then Ransom in the early two thousands, and and as well as. Uh, Jufre, and then the defense in 2008, you know, it's just, uh, it seems to be definitely a long-term relationship. And I wonder, I mean, she says it's his colleague in finances. Like, I don't know. What Was there more to that story? I don't know. Do you know the details of the conversation between Jufre's and other Epstein victims, lawyer, David, uh, is it David Bowes? Boys, yeah, boys. I'm sorry. And Dershowitz, where he taped that call, where he says, right. Virginia is wrong, simply wrong. I can't, I mean, he's really like a mind control person where he constantly says the same sentences over and over again. Dershowitz, wrong. David Boyce said I was wrong, simply. Virginia Roberts was wrong, simply wrong. That I wasn't there. That she never well, met me. What's right. that and conversation? I, I, well, I interpreted that conversation as Dershowitz intentionally trying to get boys off the case to violate what's known as the advocate witness rule, because once that conversation is taped or, or memorialized, boys could be called into the court by the defense, and then he cannot also represent uh, Jufre. So he's actually taken off the case. And it's interesting you bring that up because right now the litigation is still being ongoing with Jufre Dershowitz. And right now, I think there was recent filings within the last couple of weeks. There's also an issue regarding how Jufre's attorney, new attorney, Cooper, who took over from Boys, uh, obtained the records of the Jufre Maxwell case and how they obtained them without some of the uh, secrecy that was required by the court. So they apparently, and they, I think they admitted I have to go back and just double check these. I'm trying to be very careful, but I think they admitted that it was improper for them to receive some of that information without um, disclosing it to the defense, the totality of it to the defense. But um, so now uh, Dershowitz's attorneys are asking for Cooper to be removed. So there could be two removals from the Jufre case. So they're still fighting, uh, fighting it out in court. And uh, yeah, it's really incredible. It's just really remarkable that, I mean, it's pretty clear that, it, and I think that this is now kind of the way a lot of uh, representation happens, is that there's in-court maneuvers and then there's the court of public opinion. You know, I wrote about that back in the West Memphis 3 stuff. So, and I think that it's uh, it's unfortunate that some of these journalists are not talking about what's happening in these courts in you know, in, a, in accordance with what's happening and what statements are being made in public. Mm-hmm. So I think right. we've done. I think we've done done it for Dershowitz. Anything well, else you want to okay, say? Okay, just what okay. I do have. Just one thing because okay. crazy days and nights. It was which is kind of like an insider gossip place. But these guys have gotten a lot of things right regarding people like Dersh. I mean, actual uh, Epstein friends like Harvey Weinstein. Uh, they had Weinstein pretty much tagged, but they said that Dershowitz is in. They allege they make some interesting allegations about Dershowitz. So <laughs> he may know for a fact that he's not on the videos because he might have actually seen them. <laughs> what? Right? How is he so sure? Yeah, how are, you so sure? how are you so sure? So there's a lot of questions. I want. I wish I could see the questions. If he really did, as he said, sit down with the U.S. Attorney, the District Attorney, and with the FBI, I would love to see the transcripts of what questions they asked him to see how much they really knew to ask the proper and right questions on the record. I, I'd be very fascinated to see that. Unfortunately, I don't think that'll ever be made public. 
Yeah, I, I just, when I saw him answering, it was after an Epstein-related hearing, answer questions from the press. The press didn't ask him very many. They didn't really push him. And I don't know if that's because he's such an aggressive person to be around or if they just wanted him to stop talking because he does talk endlessly in big paragraphs. I don't know. But they didn't push him at all. And did you see any of the media that was on Maxwell's bail hearing? I didn't. What, what did you see? I thought it was pretty superficial. You know, she pled not guilty and no bail for, for Maxwell. It was not very, not very detailed. There was a few good stories, but mostly it was pretty superficial. I was surprised. And uh, one of the more interesting things in that bail hearing that I, I didn't mention was that Maxwell's lawyer said the reason that she had to move, there was all these issues of her moving money around. And the reason she had to close an account was because after Epstein was arrested, the bank wouldn't have her anymore. And I know that can be true for people who are involved in the porn industry and things like that. Other that the banks, they can't get banks and credit cards and things like that. I wondered if that was true for that one account. She had 25 other accounts, so I don't think it hurt her much. Where, where did she get all this money? What's she doing? If she's a socialite, is she making money through her, you know, nonprofit oceanic, whatever that place was called where she's cleaning the oceans? Where is she getting her money? Well, the other thing was that, that I missed from the hearing was that she was married. So I did right. report on the man she was with when she was buying the house and the fake names and the fake careers they gave uh, gave themselves to the real estate agent. But apparently she calls that person her husband. Now, do you think she's really married to Borgensen? I don't know. Do you? Do you think she's no, married to him? No, I don't think she is. I think that that was an attempt to show that she had roots in the United mm -hmm. States because that was part of the state's argument is that she didn't really have much family or friends in the United States or anything to keep her here from not fleeing. So to say, well, I have a husband, but I can't give you his name to protect his... I think it's her boyfriend, if I had to guess. What's his first name? Scott, is it? Am I wrong? I think that's right. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, and I remember there was a report of them together, right? Sometime last year that she was supposedly holed up at his house. Right. He's like Manchester on the sea. CEO. Right. Yeah. He's a shipping person. Of course, he's super, super rich, like everyone else she hangs around. Right. Definitely. But, uh, Very yeah. fascinating. And what, what do you think about some of these other people who came out in support of her that were right. willing to kind of uh, stand against? I mean, like even so, like Dershowitz wants her to get a bail granted. There were some other curious people. Geraldo right? Rivera came out with the same arguments as her lawyer that she wasn't hiding. He called the charges against her wobbly. And old, 25 years. Again, there's that argument again. It's 25 years ago. Let me just get Geraldo back in here. You said don't confuse lurid press accounts with proof. That comes back to the law, Geraldo. It's, it's true. And, you know, just on the hiding aspect, Bill, you know, she was hiding from the Daily Mail. She was hiding from the New York Post. She was hiding from the National Enquirer. She was one of the most sought after, with the, the exception maybe of Meghan Markle, the most sought after tabloid uh, figure in the country. Everybody, every reporter that works for one of these uh, tabloids, uh, whether it's People or the National Enquirer, wanted Jelaine Maxwell to get an interview to show her in her million-dollar hideaway in the woods uh -huh. in New Hampshire and, and so forth. Now, remember, these charges relate to offenses that happened 25 years ago, in that 1994 to 1997. I mean, these are, I think these are charges that are wobbly on their face. And for this judge to chicken out uh, and not give uh, the, this, uh, this suspect or this defendant bail, I think is, is copping okay. out uh, to the mob. Like, does that mean like if you lost your daughter was 25? Well, she was born 25 years ago, so, you know. Yeah, I don't know. Do. Or whatever. I don't know. I don't know. What would be more about... Well, you really remember those... her birth? It was so long ago. It was 25 years ago. Really? I mean, that's so long ago. <laughs> like, anything 25 years ago has no value. Right. I mean, but the other thing is, like, those are that, that indictment could be followed up with a superseding indictment. I think we talked about that. This is what just led to her getting arrested. And the perjury court counts themselves are pretty... Brutal. I mean, if you read the indictment, to me, she's clearly lying. 
mean, I mean, they don't even I don't know what else they went through on some of those other, uh, you know, the totality of her being uh, interviewed for that con for that that, tr that uh, court case. But yeah, I think that you just alone on that, she's in trouble. So she's being charged with perjury. She's indicted for perjury, and then she lies on her bail application. Right. <laughs> Pretty remarkable. Yeah. So what is up with Geraldo Rivera? Back to him just quickly. What do you think that's about? Does he know her? I don't know. Was he? Do you know if he was in any of the flight logs or anything like that regarding, or the black book regarding Epstein? I haven't looked myself, but I know other people have claimed to have looked and said they can't find any connection between Maxwell and Geraldo Rivera. Now, I was thinking, well, Rivera's on Fox and Dershowitz is on Fox. Could he be friends with Dershowitz? And that's what he's sticking up for his pal. Or is it sort of that same kind of libertarian mindset that this is really a victimless crime and that she should be let go? I don't know. I think it's I think that him to, to for him to come out publicly when, when most of the public thinks that she's involved in all kinds of wrongdoing for him to think that it would be okay to uh, get bail is pretty remarkable. And he goes after Allison Nathan, the judge, for caving to the mob. Right. What do you think of that? I think it's pretty interesting. I mean, I think that the rationale for her to not get bail is very important. I think the arguments are that she clearly could run. Uh, I think that for her to pay $5 million is a you know, some kind of bail and then just opt out, pull a uh, uh, Roman Polanski and go to France. I think that that's possible. Look at Polanski. He's a, uh, you know, she probably, I wouldn't be surprised at all if she could have compared herself to that whole situation. And Polanski, he, he jumped after his conviction. He hadn't been sentenced yet. So he knew he was in trouble and he just ran for it. Right. It's just so shocking to me. And I, and I thought, you didn't sit through that bail hearing. If you even had listened in, it's so clear. What do you think that the state just said, um, there's a mob outside that demands that she not get bail? <laughs> so let's wrap this up. The thing went on for two plus hours, William Rosie. It would have been a lot shorter bail hearing if that had happened. Okay, bail denied. I have to listen to the state. There's a mob out there that I have to satisfy. Sorry. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, crazy. I think it was the right decision. I think that denying her bill is the right decision. I think even in the face of COVID. Yeah, I think everybody did, and I think most people yeah. expected it. Yeah. There was a few people online who thought she might not get bail, but most people, I think, thought rightfully that she wouldn't get bail, especially after Epstein. Do you think that there's a chance that she'll commit suicide or be killed? That's another thing people keep bringing up to me. <sighs> I, I don't know. I think I don't think she's the type to commit suicide. I don't think Epstein is either or wasn't. Whether I mean, I think that if that's something like that happens, it's beyond suspicious at this point. If they let that the government lets that happen. Yeah, I mean, I just that would be just beyond outrageous. So I think that there's probably a lot of people very nervous, much like when Epstein got arrested. Um, some of her what very wealthy friends who probably have you know contacts and relationships with uh, unsavory people. What do you think? Do you think she, she has a possibility of being suicided? There's always a possibility of anything. What I'm surprised is after Epstein that with George Floyd, there's people all over the country on the streets. Why after Epstein were people demanding at the very least that our prisons get up to snuff in New York at the very least? Either if even if it's intelligence or whatever, there should be some kind of standard that they're up to, right? Sure, I, it's right? Just very odd, especially with these high-profile figures. I, I, it's just incredible that they let Epstein. I mean, the stuff that killed, came out like about that. the conditions were overworking of the staff, cameras not working, even by Broken design, cameras, right? should cause people to demand that our jails get up to standards and to look higher than just the guards, to place responsibility on people higher than the guards. I do I'm think shocked. that there were some personnel changes at the... Was it the Metropolitan MPC, right? Metropolitan. I get them so confused. So yeah, I, I do too. But commit. I think that there were, yeah, I, so I think some people got switched out. But I think that if she goes down, it'll be it'll be terrible. I mean, she's in there for a year, so I I think that the likelihood of her 
you know, writing out whatever she needs to write out to get a get a smaller sentence. I think that she'd be willing to negotiate. I think that that's really what I see as the likelihood is not her going to trial, but trying to get a lesser sentence, depending upon what how rigid the government is. But you know, if she could get a five year sentence and serve a year and a half, two years, I bet she would take that. You think the government would be satisfied with two years sentence for her? I don't know. I don't know. I don't think so. But, you know, I think that they'll negotiate. Uh, I think that uh, I think that she'll have to avoid trial. So she's probably going to just sit around and try to try to negotiate her way out to the smallest sentence possible and try to serve as little time as possible. I mean, maybe I'm naive, but I am uncharacteristically optimistic that she will stay alive. I think there's so much well, attention I hope you're on, right. on her that they just can't, I mean, it would just be, look so bad for New York if she. It's so bad. Terrible, terrible. yeah. What, well, you, I was just going to say, they've kept so many other really terrible criminals alive for trial or for whatever, like John Gotti or some of these other people who are really dangerous. It seems like they should be able to do that for her if they, uh, you know, properly put the proper resources into it. El Chapo was, you should have seen the security for right. for him, it was outrageous. I know he had escaped before, so there was that. Yeah, it was like nothing I've ever seen for his, just his trial. Just the courthouse security was insane. They covered the whole block, closed down the park. You couldn't walk through it. You had to walk all the way around. So why not for Epstein? It's yeah. That's the question. Who said that that was okay? You know, that that was enough to take him off suicide watch. And what's going on with that? So that is so many questions still. So yeah, what would justice look like for the victims? Who should be indicted? How many people and who would be on your list? It's very odd that I think that it's not, this isn't addressed as like a racketeering influence corrupt organization case because there's so many people involved and some of it is fairly recent. So I'm surprised that it's they're not bringing in broader. I My understanding is that the government is interviewing a lot of people, and Dershowitz may just be one of them, but uh, it seems like there's a lot of criminal acts going on, or have been going on for a long time, and uh, I would like to see, I'd like to see some other people be, you know, be address, that address and see what's going on, because there's a lot of facts that's being covered up. There's a lot of missing people, missing kids. Where are they getting them from? Are they getting them from Venezuela, Haiti? What's going on? You know, is there organ trafficking? Is there gun running? We don't know the totality of it. And it, it should be incumbent upon the uh, government to properly investigate and also put out uh, put out a report for the public to see all of their their research or do something. Like, I mean, I think this case is big enough where even, uh, you know, some kind of con congressional hearing should get together and investigate it, much like they did, you know, the independent, the what is it, the independent general or whatever, this guy Horowitz went through the whole, you know, uh, steel report. There should be something like that, that the public can read through. So I think there's a, still a lot of work to be done with this whole case and why all of these things happened. Why did that terrible um, plea agreement get arranged in 2008 in Florida? There's a lot of, there's still tons of questions about this whole, the arc of the whole case. I was just listening to an interview with Maria Farmer where she was talking about Vicki Ward and how Vicki Ward let Maxwell know that she had talked to the FBI and she's being hailed as a real kind of hero in this story hero, that sorry. she exposed. And she's saying, oh, no, that she's she's no hero is what Farmer said about her. And Cernovich is sort of similar. He paints himself as this kind of truth seeker. Can you talk about who Mike Cernovich is and the relationship between he and Dershowitz? That goes back to the importance of the Jufre uh, Maxwell defamation case, because in that case, there Sam Castle uh, did a response to that and put, and it's a very important, I'll see if I can post it somewhere on the internet so people can read it, but he exposed that Cernovich and Dershowitz were friends. I think Dershowitz was in one of Cernovich's movies, and they joined into the case so publicly. I mean, I think it's pretty evident that, to me, at least in my opinion, that Cernovich was publicly saying he was in there joining the case as, um, as some kind of white knight trying to get it, but they're actually, they were trying to expose some of these secret John Jane Doe's that were in the case, is my understanding. So why is Cernovich and Dershowitz in there 
doing that. And that, that and then what? <laughs> he took credit for shamelessly, and that this is all you know, uh, screenshotted and verified that when Epstein got arrested, he took credit for it publicly and all of his clueless followers just went on and just thought it was the greatest thing I've ever seen. And one of the, probably the most darkly amusing uh, things I've seen on the internet, at least in the last year, was watch, watching Stefan Molyneux, Mr. High IQ, uh, you know, a bell curve type, just being totally clowned and played by servants. It was unbelievable, man. <laughs> Wait, so watching watching that conversation because because Molyneux actually took Cernovich at face value and did an interview with him, crediting Cernovich for uncovering this and getting Epstein arrested at Teterboro Airport right last year. So, um, but if you looked at what Cernovich was doing and his 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 attorney, Randazza, who I guess they had, didn't they just bust him for like shooting porn at his law office or something like that? I, mean, I haven't uh, heard that. Yeah. You haven't heard that? I got to yeah. go back and verify these things, but they were doing something completely uh, different than really, in my opinion, than exposing the truth. So, and it goes back to even the 2008 where it's pretty clear that they were involved in intim- intimidating uh, victims, you know? That is a specialty of Alan Dershowitz. He was involved in defending some Hasidic uh, gentleman who had abused, I can't remember if it was underage girls or underage boys, and he went after the victim's father. So he's, And he also went after um, Epstein's victims, looked up their social media and said, oh, this person right. smokes pot and blah, blah, blah. Well, in those files, it's important, uh, just to interrupt, sorry, sure. but in those files, there's massive amounts of screenshots of, this is how old it was, but at MySpace pages, that they had taken hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of screenshots of MySpace pages to try to get, you know, the salacious material on the victims. It's incredible. Lot of, lots of work. So just to clarify, who is Mike? Does he call himself a journalist? Uh, I think that he was seen as an, I think that he really came on the scene during the election, during Trump the Clinton as a, you know, person who was somewhere on the right. I think that that was really it, that he was a blogger, a writer, a book writer, and a Twitter, you know, user, and really built a name for himself from, you know, kind of like one of these other characters, what is uh, Jack Posobiec. Like, they weren't really around before, or Laura Loomer. You know, they, they seemed to really pop up around that time, 2015, uh-huh. 2014. I don't really remember Cernovich before that, but uh... <laughs> yeah, they pop up out of nowhere and then they have this huge following. You know, very yeah, quickly. really strange. Very yeah. skilled, very skilled operators, in my opinion, on social media. How to, uh, you know, get views and and get in, you know, get talk to people and to, there are a lot of conflicts which create views, and so a lot of there's a lot of mystery to me behind him. I mean, I. I think he was arrested for something. I think he pled. There was some kind of, I mean. He beat up his wife or his girlfriend, didn't he? Something like that. Yeah, it was something like that. And um, yeah. Another one with a little issue with the women. Yeah. So there's a theme here. Right. Yeah, it's very. There's a theme here, yes. Yeah, there's a theme. It's very interesting because these arguments used to fly a little bit more. There's this kind of. American ideal that people should be free and free sort of libertarian ideal, you know, that they used to sort of push that's kind of connected with these arguments, these kind of pro pedophilia, pro sex trafficking arguments. And I think that that was the attitude. I think, you know, you see within the, the Epstein circle, the milieu that grew, I think that they were very, sanguine about what was going on they may not have seen the ugliness but it seems like a lot of these people knew they they had this girl who woman who was like the head of reddit and i think she worked for one of the big um investment banks for uh and she'd said oh yeah we all knew what he was doing and she said this back in 2010 it's like how would you not like you knew and didn't say anything and it's very strange this kind of look the other way kind of attitude with epstein that went on for decades you know how many people had to know? Just the doormen, the all. Oh. There's so many people in New York who had to know. Yeah. Just in New York, I'm thinking because it's the, where I live. 
through yeah, the and they've had they've the been interviews with his the, mm-hmm. right the driver. I think that some there was a couple podcasts that interviews his limo guy, and they all knew. And this limo guy felt terrible because he well he just stated like, hey, you know, this is a the shame that what happened. And we all kind of knew what was going on, but we all wanted to get paid. Right, might have been one of the fundamentals. A lot of these people are getting paid by Epstein and. That's why the whole thing kept going. I just want to ask one question about Bradley Edwards, who's the Florida lawyer who represented a lot of the victims. He came out with a book recently, and he said something, I believe it was on, was it Australian 60 Minutes? Was that where he was interviewed? And he said that... Possibly the most recent. Most recent interview. And he said, well, Epstein was really charming. He would charm me, and then I'd have to pull myself back and say, oh, wait, this guy is kind of a monster. And the reason he was able to procure so many girls was that he was a really charming sociopath. What do you think of that statement? I think that they they probably had a very public, you know, very calming public face of a socialite and a man of wealth. And I think that, uh, you know, the darker underbelly was never perceived. So I think that that might have been the case. I mean, the totality of what was going on really to the public, at least, just unfolded over time. Most people just saw this guy living in Florida. They didn't know that it was going on in Europe, New York, Santa Fe, all these other, and the, the, the Lolita Island, the Lolita Express, when they see the totality of it, it's a completely different story. So there's probably different doorways of getting to the core of understanding. And, and uh, Edwards may, may not, but I know that he and his attorney, they had a, they had a kind of a, press conference where they brought out all these image boards with all of the planes and cars and stuff that they owned. Right. So it's at least at a certain point, Edwards knew that this guy was, you know, he had tons of resources. That's right. I mean, he didn't just get all, procure all these girls because he was so charming alone. He had tons of resources and, and a system, and he had Maxwell, and he had system, yeah. other women bringing in other, and girls bringing in other right. girls. So, I mean, I think that's very, uh, a kind of surface view. I mean, it may be one element. I think what I he was trying that. to communicate was that he was a really skilled at socializing and winning people over, so that it can be one element of him, but it certainly obscures all the other things at work. That kept him and a lot, going. Yeah, a lot of those victims, a lot of them state the regrets that they had of bringing in other women. I recall Lakata and Jufre saying that because they were turned. It was like a multi-level marketing scheme, right? So once they got brought in, it was like, hey, you want to make you make three hundred plus, you make an extra three hundred if you bring somebody else in. So I think that, the, and that's kind of one level of inquiry. I think some of the journalists have not gotten into is how many extra women once a woman got brought into the trafficking scheme, how many extra women did they bring in? Or girls or high school students or whatever. But it seemed like Palm Beach High School was just like all the girls knew what was going on. They knew the story. They knew well, other people who were involved in that. Well, it's a great way to make them complicit and afraid to talk because now they're complicit Absolutely. in it. So now they're part of it. It's it's a lot like what Michael Jackson told his victims. If, if anyone finds out, you and I both go to jail. It's a great way to maintain their silence. Agreed. Agreed. So thank you so much for talking to me about this uh, stuff. I never get tired of talking about this stuff with you and I appreciate it. It's a really an incredible story. If you, yeah, no problem. But if you think of it's like going on for 25 years, like a quarter of a century of abuse, it's incredible. And you were one of the early people on the story. So well, I tried, you know, I tried, I asked some questions early, like what's going on. But so I would think, um, if you think, well, let me ask you a question. Who do you think should be arrested? Who else do you think should be? Les Wexner, uh, without a doubt. That's a, the most important person, more than Maxwell. Close to Maxwell, but very important that that I think be at least questioned, if not indicted. Definitely indicted, yeah, want, in my opinion. He's the money. He's the th- I mean, if you think him, mean, he's the Bronfman to Nexium. As, you know, he's the money guy behind it all. He's the engine. And he owned that he owned that Manhattan properly property, I think, all the way up, at least until 2007. So he he had to have kind of got the gist of what was going on, don't you think? The gist. You can't yeah. be more complicit than giving him money. And he had to be really integral to it when you're the money. You know, the, you're giving a dollar, you're giving 
Epstein stuff for a dollar and then Epstein's using the name Victoria's Secret to lure people in. How is he? He's very comfortable with it. So you don't get in that position without knowing everything. There's sort of this weird idea now that goes around that we're supposed to believe that people high up don't know what's going on. I mean, come on. Right. That's a good point. That's a good point. Right. So true. So true. <laughs> Thank you. So right. I think that's a good way to end it, right? All right. I do too. All right. I do too. Thanks so Great much. Great to talk with you. Thank yep. you. Take care.